Hey there, this is Dr. Jolene Brighton, and today we'll be mapping bacterial vaginosis on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it reminds us to stop and assess, but also because it invites us to consider three very important factors in our care, recommendations, and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with my friend, Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a prominent leader in women's medicine and the emerging science of post-birth control syndrome, studying the effects of hormonal birth control on female health. A fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances, Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, medical advisor within the tech community, and considered a leading authority on women's health. Dr. Brighton is also part of the Mind Body Green Collective and a faculty member for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Her work has been featured in New York Post, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, Bustle, The Guardian, and ABC News. And be sure to check out Dr. Brighton's previous episode on this podcast. It's number 17, where she maps post-birth control syndrome. Dr. Brighton, welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm so excited to have some time with you today. Me too. It's been a minute since we've been able to chat, so I'm excited to be back. I know. All sorts of chatting to catch up on, but today we're talking about vaginosis. Can you start us out by actually speaking into what it is? Yeah, so when we're talking about bacterial vaginosis, a lot of people get it in their mind that it's an STI or uh, what was formerly called a sexually transmitted disease. Now we call them sexually transmitted infections or that it's somehow a sign of not having good personal hygiene when in fact bacterial vaginosis is an imbalance of your normal flora. So your normal bacteria that exists in the vagina and it's overgrowing for a variety of reasons. So sort of like what we experience in the gut where there might be dysbiosis, it doesn't necessarily mean that that bacteria is pathogenic. It's just... Uh, overgrown because of an imbalance. Do I have that right? Absolutely. And I like that you draw the parallel to the gut because I think the gut microbiome gets so much play uh, by practitioners and we fail to recognize that the vagina has its own microbiome as well. And just like, you know, the things that we do in our day-to-day -day life can disrupt our gut microbiome, there are lots of things that can disrupt the vaginal microbiome as well. So what are those things? What disrupts the vaginal microbiome? So a big one is douching. Um, and this is something that uh, I think so many of us have been exposed to commercials. If you walk down a feminine hygiene aisle, you will see so many products that are really geared at 
you know, making a smell like um, peaches or <laughs> orange <laughs> blossoms. Like it's, as I say that, I'm like, it's absolutely so ridiculous. But that can absolutely be a trigger. So douching is a big one. And what is tricky is that one of the symptoms of bacterial vaginosis is having that fishy odor. Now that is not you, that is the bacteria releasing amines, which give off that fish-like odor. And so that will sometimes drive women to want to use these feminine hygiene products, which only make the symptoms so much worse. You know, what comes to my mind is people still douche, but, you know, <laughs> know. even though like, we, even though we might think differently about it, it doesn't mean that our patients and clients aren't getting seduced by the douche, right? Yeah. So I think there's a, there's something we can do in there with Instagram, seduced by the douche. Don't be seduced by the douche. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess people are still douching, yeah. but um, yeah, I'm surprised by that for some reason, because it feels like we've learned that it's not supportive. So before we go on to other triggers, can you talk into why douching would cause a microbial imbalance in the vagina? Absolutely. And you know, for everyone who is a practitioner here, I do think it's important that you recognize that companies like Vagisil have actually begun targeting teens. And so this idea that, you know, you and I are like, no, we've learned that douching is not great for you. Um, we are still seeing heavy, heavy marketing when women are in their most susceptible years to be made to feel insecure about themselves. And mm -hmm. so I think as a provider, normalizing the conversations around that vaginas are supposed to smell like vaginas, that you don't need a special wash to cleanse yourself. And really, you know, with these washes, even, and, and so these will be external and internal washes that they're marketing towards you. They may say they're pH balanced. However, they contain other ingredients that can interfere with these microorganisms, including things that can be endocrine disruptors as well. So we, you know, as functional medicine providers understand that fragrances are an assault to your hormones. Mm -hmm. And yet these are being encouraged to be forcefully washed up into the vaginal canal. So it's really important to recognize that these products come with, you know, really heavy chemicals. When you consider that the vagina is really self-cleaning and nothing ever really needs to go inside of it to help cleanse it, then, you know, these chemicals are quite harsh and disruptive, not only to the flora, but even though they say they're pH balanced, they can disrupt the pH and the pH is everything. So with BV, we have these lactobacillus organisms. They are producing acid that's keeping yeast in check, hmm. but they can become problematic in themselves when you know we've we've got overgrowth of the normal flora. So that kind of led us into some of the other triggers. What else leads to those imbalances in both, I guess, the bacteria, but also in the pH? Mm -hmm. So sex with males is a big one, especially if semen is being introduced into the vagina. And so semen is, you know, on the pH scale, it is much more alkaline. The vagina likes to be a lot more acidic to keep everybody in check. And so this is where people will get it in their head that this is a sexually transmitted infection because after sex symptoms can get worse when in fact it's more about the pH disruption. So 
if you are trying to heal from BV, you've had chronic BV, you, you want to use a condom or some kind of barrier method and be mindful about lubricants that you're using as well. So, um, you know, there's lots of lubricants to choose from these days in terms of the natural realm. And that's really the route that you want to go. You want to be looking at things that, especially if you're using a condom and you don't want to get pregnant, that are water-based and not oil-based. Now, a few other things that can disrupt is antibiotics our own period, having, you know, anal and oral sex. So especially what's problematic is when people go from anal sex into vaginal sex, because what grows in your gut is very good. It belongs there, but it doesn't belong in the vagina. Such good information there. Can we kind of move to the center part of the matrix, Dr. Brighton, and talk about the signs, the symptoms, the impacts of having bacterial vaginosis? Mm -hmm. So with bacterial vaginosis, like I said before, one of the hallmark signs is that fishy odor. So that is one that is almost, you know, anyone who's had BV recognizes that. And, and yet it doesn't always show up that way, right? We see that so often that, you know, there's so many conditions where it doesn't show up exactly that way. And so with BV, there can be increase in discharge. This will not be the thick, white, clumpy discharge that you see with yeast infections. It'll be more of a thin discharge and sometimes it's gray. We also see at times with BV that there can be an itching, burning discomfort. We you know, expect with yeast that it can be a lot more itching, burning, redness, but BV can still have that, that discomfort symptom as well. And, you know, it's important to note that for some women, BV shows up during, a, you know, when they go to their annual exam and they have a pap smear and they actually have no symptoms of bacterial vaginosis. What are the things we should be thinking about in regards to sex from all different sorts of coupling? You talked about barriers and using condoms for a female having sex with a male. Mm -hmm. What about oral sex? If you have BV or you don't know you have BV, is there risk to the partner in that situation? Well, the nice thing is that we've got our own flora in our mouth. So we've got a microbiome in our mouth that can actually throw down against these critters. And in addition, anything that you're ingesting is going to enter the stomach acid. And so we haven't seen, and as you know, research is really lacking when it comes to women's medicine. And yeah. then when it comes to same sex, you know, partnerships, there's a lot of research lacking as well. We haven't seen any, you know, problems with that. Although in theory, you could potentially have imbalances. What I get more concerned about is what's going on with the oral flora of the person who is providing oral sex to you because that you're introducing bacteria into the vagina. And if you already have BV, so you already have an imbalance, you're going to have issues with your pH. You're going to have issues in terms of, you know, just like you're more susceptible to gut infections when you have dysbiosis, it can be the same for having uh, oral sex as well and having things transferred there. And then it's also important to note that BV doesn't have to exist on its own. You can also have other infections taking place at the same time, which is why it's best not to guess and to always test and understand what is going on. So before we get into mediators and that right side of the matrix, what is the testing for BV? So you know, there's some uh, doctors that will do what's called the WIF test. And so they'll actually, you know, just 
um, smell for the amines. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like an old school uh, treatment, in my opinion. But, you know, the other thing is looking at vaginal pH, doing a wet mount. So actually taking a sample from the vaginal discharge and then looking underneath a microscope. And what you will see are clue cells. And that's really synonymous with bacterial vaginosis. And so coupling the clue cells with the pH can generally give you your diagnosis there. Um, That will not rule out other things necessarily as well. And sometimes you can also see yeast um, being present. So although we often think, okay, you either have BV or you either have yeast and a lot of cases will fall into that, you can have both going on. It makes sense when we think about dysbiosis and overgrowth. There's so much that can be happening when there's an imbalance present. Mm -hmm. So what do we do, Dr. Brighton? What do you recommend to your readers, your patients, your followers who are struggling with BV? So first we want to figure out what are your BV triggers? Um, So we're going to want to treat it. So maybe I should say first we want to treat it. But we also want to figure out what your triggers are. So if we know that after your period, so period blood does change the pH of your vagina. If after your period, that's always when you are getting a BV infection, then we want to come in with, you know, a treatment that we can employ during that time. If it's after sex, like we talked about before, we want to make sure that we have you know, sex hygiene practices. And I say that in as a way of, you know, broadly, like, you know, everyone should urinate after sex, but if you are struggling with BV, you should be wearing a condom if you are having a sex with a cis male. Now, you know, the conventional treatments is that we will see sometimes things like metronidazole, clindamycin. So these um, antibiotics are used for treating BV. That personally isn't a first line therapy I like to go with. And a big reason for that is because that can also make the BV worse in some situations. And so I think that everybody who understands the impact of antibiotics on your gut will appreciate that your gut and your vagina can share bacteria as well. And so sometimes when we're having these chronic repeat infections in the vagina, it can be linked to what's going on in the gut. So we may want to be treating the gut, making sure that you know we have a fiber-rich diet, taking care of any infections that are there, while also addressing what is going on in the vagina. Now, some things that you can do naturally. So we've seen that in randomized uh, double-blind placebo control trials that vitamin C has been beneficial. And so this is a vaginal suppository of vitamin C inserted into the vagina. And that's something that you can use for the acute treatment. You can also use after uh, your period. So when you're finishing up your period, doing vitamin C. The other thing that women have found helpful and I've seen clinically is boric acid. Now, this is something that we often think about for, you know, yeast infections, but it can work with bacterial vaginosis as well. And as we were addressing concerns about oral sex previously, uh, boric acid is toxic if ingested. So (laughs) this is one I always caution my patients about is that if you're going to insert that suppository, then we are not going to have any mouth to genital, uh, experiences following that suppository because, you know, it, it would be a small amount, but I don't like to risk that at all. Sounds good. Yeah. And 
uh, diet, lifestyle, probiotics, vaginal probiotics, anything in those arenas? So with bacterial vaginosis, because we already have overgrowth of beneficial flora, I would say we want to use caution in inserting uh, probiotic into the vagina. That works a little bit better for yeast infections. It all depends on what's going on. In terms of diet, we know that you know eating diets high in refi- refined carbohydrates and sugars can be problematic for creating dysbiosis in the gut. It is the same is true for um, the vagina. And when we see that recurrent BV and or yeast infections, we do want to check blood sugar and make sure that we're not having any issues with our blood sugar because that can certainly lend itself to an infection. If we go back to some of our antecedents, Dr. Brighton, are you seeing BV occurring in women of all ages? So BV is most common prior to menopause, and that may be because you're menstruating and the changes in your pH as well. But it certainly can you know, develop postmenopausal as well. As we know, hormones drop postmenopausal, and when that happens, we don't have the same protection of the mucosa that we once had. So we can see increased risk of infections with UTIs, urinary tract infections, um, being some of the most common as the muscles change, as the mucosa changes. And so it's still possible to get those infections then. We do see that BV is also more common in women who have multiple uh, male sexual partners. And that is not, and that again, this is, I don't even like to bring that up because that's where stigma starts to come in, where people are like, well, it's obviously an STI. You're swapping flora with a lot of different people, right? It's just the same as like if you're making out with a lot of different people, that's going to affect your oral microbiome as well. And it would be, what I think would be really interesting is actually to see what the benefits are because we know community and, and hugging and, you know, being in community can actually be beneficial to our microbiome. And so I bring that up and there's probably going to be someone on here who comments and is just like, how, can, how dare she advocate for that? I am advocating <laughs> for the research. I'm advocating for let's take a different perspective um, and let's not let beliefs influence the science. Yeah. And it's so important that we look at this from so many different perspectives and really add that understanding to our understanding as practitioners. Dr. Brighton, it's always so much fun to talk to you and do these deep dives. Is there anything else that you wish practitioners knew about BV that we're getting wrong? You know, one thing I think that we all should really be evaluating is the products that women are using and actually asking about it because most women don't don't think to tell their provider if they are douching. Um, there's a lot of education we can do there. Most women aren't going to tell you that they are using, you know, some champagne and berry scented whatever on on their vulva and their labia, Um, you know, and and trying to make that area smell good because so much marketing is geared towards making us feel ashamed. Um, And if you want to see how much that really plays out, you can go to my Instagram or my TikTok and see any video I do about douching and how many people uh, comment things about how bad I must smell because I'm advising you not to, that this myth really runs deep. And as providers, 
we have a real opportunity to protect vaginas everywhere, which is really important given that this is, you know, 50% of the population that we're talking about here. And so not only talking to them about douching, personal care products, but being really aware of the endocrine disruptors and potential glyphosate exposure, because you know, the vagina is a mucosal membrane. It is highly, highly absorbed. <laughs> I can't get that word out, you know, just like your mouth can be. And so that's just really important when you are addressing a woman's health to understand that there may be triggers uh, that she's not discussing with you because she doesn't think this is any of your business or she thinks it doesn't have any bearing on what's going on. But we can have these conversations in a way that really um, makes our patients feel safe, makes them feel comfortable, and also gives them permission to talk about the normal functions of their body freely. Mm, so brilliant. And we will link to your Instagram in the show notes because it is definitely a site to watch. So much good information, so playfully shared. Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.